to be with you and I just want to tell you what a great team that we have here at Foundry. The fact that I could be off for a couple weeks, be at Fry, be at different places even while Ray is out just speaks to the testament of the team that we have here, especially in Kelly that I look at the way she's filled in and deeply grateful. So Kelly, yeah. So, and, and for this church uh, in general, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this process of what being awakened in Christ looks like. And I understand that you played musical chairs last week, Kelly, here. Just one chair. It was like up and down, up and down. So today we're talking about walking. So I'm going to walk around the sanctuary as I talk, if that's okay. Camera people are going to hate me. It, it, it's, um, this is part of what Paul is talking about, the different postures that we take in our walk with Christ. And Paul begins by reminding the church at Ephesus that all of what Christ has done for them. The truth is that Paul is reminding us of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's important and foremost for us as followers of Jesus Christ. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul uses this phrase, in Christ and in him, over and over to refer to our position before God and in God, in heaven and on earth. So what we talk about is in this series as we looked at Watchman Nee's book is the three different postures that we take. The sitting is the posture that we take before God. Then there is the posture that we take in this world, which is walking. And then there is the posture that we take against the enemy, which is a posture of standing. Now there is a reality given to us in Jesus Christ because of his love and his grace. And this awakening occurs to us so that we may know, Paul writes, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you, meaning y'all, all of you, plural, may be filled with the fullness of God. So this is our posture before God. Just so before we do anything else, we have this posture that we are sitting before we begin to take the posture that we do in this world, which is one of walking. Now as we move, I want to read out of Psalm 1, very familiar passage. As we get started this morning, and listen to the progression. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's Psalm 1. So for the psalmist, walking implies a person who is following a certain way of doing things. That means they have aligned their, their self to a way of bringing things about in this world, the way of living. So many times the verb walk appears in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, alluding and speaking to this idea of how one behaves or conducts themselves in this world. So we hear this all the time in our culture. We hear about don't just talk the walk, walk, the talk, you hear this, and I get, all, I get all mixed up, I don't even know how to say it right, and you know, you're supposed to use them interchangeably to make a point, and we get this whole idea, but I think it started way before it came popular in our culture. You have this, 
the psalmist writing here in this passage is stating is blessed is the man who walks in the ways of the Lord, insinuating this progression, something that takes place over time and not in the path of wicked. Again, wicked not meaning necessarily evil or of Satan, but apart from God. The psalmist describes a person who walks, then stands, and finally sits. And I think we can all kind of relate to this evolution of process, if you will, in our lives. Because if you think about it, you know, we go through life, we're walking through life, yada, 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 everything's going great. And all of a sudden, we end up, it's just a matter of time, before we end up standing with the people that we're walking with. And then once you linger and you stand, it's just a matter of time before you end up sitting with them. And then you remain there. And when you sit, that is your identity. That is what you become. And this happens progressively. So for instance, think about the way that you come to get your favorite restaurant. Sometimes you find it on your own. Sometimes it's where you go with your friends where you go with them, where you hang out, suddenly what your friends say, the things they watch, the things they eat, the things they drink become the things of you. And suddenly you have been walking, you are standing, and now you are sitting. But if you do it with the wrong crowd, it's a warning to us. See, standing speaks to this notion of resisting, sitting to this idea of identity that we talked about last week, which drives everything that we do. And sitting is a result of walking and standing. In Ephesians, however, Paul takes a different turn to this idea of walking and standing really are a result of sitting with and in Christ. So if you look at the sequence in Psalms as you walk, stand, and sit, and when you are in, in Christ, we sit, we walk, and then we stand, according to Ephesians. The Psalms speaks to this this normal process, if you will, of how we go about life. And I don't think that necessarily it speaks to this idea that we end up walking with the way of the wicked and sitting in the, in the seat of scoffers necessarily, but I think it's speaking to the way that we tend to live life in the flesh, or if using if Paul's language, how we live life when we're asleep, in our slumber. See, in this world, our actions tend to define us. Great actions in this world, we are defined by the things that we do. Our great accomplishments, what we hear people say about us when we are gone, the things that we accomplished. And if we did some really bad things, we're known by those things. There's things that I've done in my life that people will know me by the worst things I've ever done. And, and you, there's no way around it because they say what you do is who you are, correct? Well, Paul takes a different kind of stance on this and he says hey listen to this he says what defines you is Christ's action yes you used to behave a certain way you used to walk a certain way but now you can walk a different way because of the way that Christ has walked and that's good news for us it's to say what defines me as a person regardless of how great I how I how I've been or how horrible I've been in this life. The reality is that in Christ Jesus, he is the one that defines me. But in order to know that, I must press in to his word. So if Christ's actions actually define me, then it must be reflected in my life, in the way that I live my life. 
And part of the tension that we've talked about as we are awakened is we believe these things and yet somehow there is a chasm, there is a gap that we have to bridge between what we believe, what we desire, and the way we actually live our lives. And this happens all the time, not just spiritually. We know we shouldn't eat these things. We know we should exercise and yet the reality is something different in our lives, correct? We, we are people that are masters at living in this tension. But yet I think the Spirit of God calls us to say, hey, let me pull you out of that tension into this new reality of how we can live. Our walk is about stepping into this life, into the power, into the life that God's Spirit has already given us. This will impact every area of our life. The implication is that I once walked this way, but now as a result of being awakened, I can now walk with Christ. I can now walk differently than I ever have before. And it comes up in the small things. Sometimes we think in this grand, big, massive change. And the reality is it, it doesn't work that way. Suddenly, for me, has been a progression in the things that I found entertaining in my life began to shift. The things that I filled my mind with and my time began to shift. My priorities began to shift. My friends began to change. The longings within my heart and my dreams began to change. The things that I fought, sought for for fulfillment in my life began to change. The way I treated people began to change. The way I viewed sexuality began to change. The way I viewed this world began to change. The way I viewed myself began to change. These are small ways that the Spirit of God begins to teach us how to walk differently. Listen carefully to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared for us beforehand, that we should walk in them. Paul is bringing to our attention once again that what we do is a result of who we are in Christ, crafted by Christ, in Christ, for Christ, so that we can carry out the good works that he has for us. But I also think he's talking of something majestic, something great. I think Paul is also taking a shot at the Roman Empire during the time. There's a professor by the name of Dr. Frederick Long, no relation to Kelly or Kevin, and says by referring to the church as the workmanship of God, he was essentially taking a shot at Rome because Rome, as the capital of the world, was described as the greatest work or creation of their founders, of their founders especially the Emperor Augustus. So there was incredible pride in the people of Rome. Romans were supposed to conduct themselves a certain way. And I think Paul was saying to this church at Ephesus, you think Rome is great? You think it's awesome? You haven't seen anything yet. I'm talking about something lasting, something incredible, something that is eternal. And he's referring to the church of Jesus Christ. So therefore, just as Rome is supposed to conduct itself a certain way, if you're a Roman citizen, you act a certain way, just in the same manner as you are a citizen of heaven, Conduct yourself differently in this world. And we're like, okay, that's a tall order. Because I, I know what I think you're asking me to do, but I don't know if I can do those things. Paul writes at the beginning of Ephesians, I want you to be holy and blameless before him. This happens as a result of us being with him. 
it is very difficult for us to live out our life and not have spent any time with Jesus. Many of us have done a really good job of trying to live out our life in such a way that I can change my behavior and give the appearance that everything's great, but the reality is I'm not sitting on Christ. I'm sitting on everything else that I've depended for in my entire life. And the reality is that this place of brokenness takes us to a place where we can say, I realize that I am fragmented. I realize that I need help and that I need to live life differently. And I begin to rest in Christ. Suddenly, the way I walk, the way I live, the way I interact, the way I'm present, the way I engage begins to change in this world. I think that's why Paul at the end of chapter three prays for us. He prays that we be strengthened with power through the spirit in our inner being. This is what he's asking for. At the core of who we are, he is praying for us so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we would be grounded and we would have the strength to comprehend. There is a level of comprehension for us that as we learn about the love of Christ and who he is, it begins to impact the way we live our lives. That's why I think is the importance for us as God's people to be in the word, for the word of God to be in us, to be in some kind of small group, to be in some kind of, of life group for us to learn, to study, to grow short-term, long-term. Not only is God's word beginning to shape our hearts and mold us, but so are other people's view and experiences the spirit of God begins to use so that we, all of us can experience the fullness of God. I would love to see a church where we don't have just 50% of people involved in some kind of group, where we have 100% of our congregation involved in some kind of small group experience, where we are learning God's word, where the God's word is flowing in us. That is essential. Got off on a tangent. This is part of us awakening in Christ, is realizing we gotta do things differently. See, it's a lasting and deep transformation that begins in our inner being. But it's all centered around the love of Christ for us. The love of Jesus, listen, can transform the most disfigured of hearts. His love can set a captive free. His love can bring about healing and hurting to a soul desperately in need. The love of Jesus restores, the love of Jesus strengthens, the love of Jesus forgives, the love of Jesus fills, the love of Jesus sustains, gives wisdom, and liberates. There is nothing impossible for the love of Christ. And if that is true, then let us live differently. Let us walk differently. Some of us need to surrender to that amazing love of God that has drawn near to our lives. And today would be a good day if you've been resisting. You know better, but yet you've resisted. Today would be a good day to say, you know what, I surrender. And we can do that by saying, Holy Spirit, begin to work in me. See, the love of Christ will inevitably begin to manifest itself in our lives, in this world. Paul creates a stark contrast within the, for the people of Ephesus when he writes, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. You walked in the way of the world. You walked in darkness. You were following the prince of the power of the air. So if you're not in Christ, this is how scripture defines us. Stark contrast. To live apart from God regardless of how moral and upright we may be is to be spiritually asleep. Christ is the only one who gives life. And in that life, we learn to live. 
y'all, and we will stumble. We will have obstacles to overcome in us and around us, but we don't live life alone. And there is a way to break the cycle that many of us have fallen into and to say we can live differently in Jesus' name. And suddenly we become awakened to the beauty, to the power, to the freedom, and to the fullness that God offers us. And that's what we become awakened to, not to a new set of behaviors. This is not about behavior modification in our lives. Unfortunately, I think that some of the things that I'm about to share over the next few minutes, some of you will take and begin to do a checklist of whether you fulfilled it or not as a sign of your awakening. But there is no list that verifies that we're awake or not. It is the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives and in the manner in which we yield to him and he begins to bear fruit in us. And in that process, you and I begin to put our gifts into action for the edification of the body and for the redemption of this world. What we do will follow what we believe. In this particular case, who we believe. It seems like Paul understood this maturation process in Christ entails some kind of walking. That's why it's beautiful. So from chapters four to the beginning of chapter six in Ephesians, and if you didn't have one of these Ephesians books given to you, printed out, I encourage you to grab one on the way out. How many of you have read Ephesians? Let's do that. I'm not, all right, this week. I want 100% of people reading Ephesians. You got, what, two more weeks to do it. You're like, don't lie about reading Ephesians. That's not worth it. You know, it's just not worth it. It defeats the purpose, right? We want to walk differently. But let's take steps to say, hey, I want to know more about what Christ has for me. So in those sections, the verb walk or live can be identified about five times. And I think it's important for us. Walking is a process. It's something that takes time for us to learn. I think about an infant. When an infant begins to walk, it doesn't just like, hey, what's up, mom? You know, start walking. That'd freak us out, you know, all of a sudden. But I, I didn't take my kids to walking school. They just kind of learned around us, holding them, and they stumbled, and they fell, and they laughed, and everything. And I think part of that, imagine that, us being like that with Jesus. Hey, I don't know everything. Well, he's like, great. You shouldn't know everything, and you can't know everything. That's why I'm here. This is why the church is here. We begin to now walk together. And I'm going to put these categories up here quickly. But walk like you are called. Walk like you were taught. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom and in the spirit. These are the sections that he begins to highlight for us. We see a turn in Paul's letter when we come to chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to which you have been called. To be awakened in Christ is to recognize that you and I have a calling upon our lives. So many times we don't know if God, what God's called us to. You know, we just kind of show up. And, but this brings so much meaning and purpose and significance in our lives. And asking Christ to be manifested in and through our very lives. It could be in the home. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be in any kind of ministry here in the church, in the community. But I invite the Spirit of God to say, show me what this calling is in the plan of redeeming this world. Here's the thing. It's not immediate. Think of it as a flower, it's blossoming, it takes some time. And all of a sudden you turn around and there it is in full bloom. It's kind of how the kingdom of God 
begins to flourish in our midst, Jesus said. Central to walking out our faith in Christ Jesus is to live in humility and with gentleness. And when I read those words that Paul writes, these are the very same words that Jesus used to describe himself. There were many words said about Jesus to Jesus, but these were the actual adjectives that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, take up my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. See, Jesus is more than just a model or an example of how we're to live. Because if that's the case, that's not really helpful to us. Other than like, great, that's what I'll never be. But there's something categorically different when the Spirit of God begins to reign in us. That same Spirit that was present at creation, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God the Father Almighty has drawn near to us and says, I can live in you. And suddenly we begin to walk differently in our lives. So if you pay attention, it's our inner being that is strengthened by the Spirit of God. Where we are humble and recognize that we need help, that we need others. We begin to recognize maybe how calloused our hearts are and how they need to be softened. You know, it's one of the things for me and my growth for for Christ that has been difficult is how can I be more gentle with my words, with my demeanor, with my expression? It starts in the home. And to say, you know, to have people be able to call you out. Because I know when I get full of pride and arrogant, you're short-tempered, you're, we're impatient, sometimes belligerent. Can I get an Amen. Am I just the only one? Those, those are real things we deal with. But they're not beyond the grace of God. To draw near and say, I want you to begin to walk in this way. Look what Jesus did, and now look at how I want you to walk. Now my spirit is in you. Trust me. Walk like you were taught. Verse 17, now I say this, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now he was talking to the Gentiles. There were Jews and Gentiles in this, during this time and place at Ephesus. They were struggling in how to become one church because the Jews thought they had to become Jews in order to, to be followers of Christ. And he's saying, hey, all of you, are walking this way, but I got a specific word for Gentiles. You're used to living this idolatrous life, completely different and completely opposed to the gospel, where the Jews had the Torah, they were maintaining most of these, if you were Jews, you were an observing Jew, you kept the Torah, you lived a life that was upright before God, but you were missing the life, which is in the spirit. And the same thing for, the, for these Gentiles, and now they're living together and says, hey, I want you guys to live as Christ taught, begin to live together. And Paul presses in by describing those not in Christ and what they do and what they give themselves over to. He says that your hearts are callous. You give yourselves over to sensuality, to greed. But this is not the way you've learned in Christ. Not at all. So what have we learned in Christ? How do we live in Christ? That's why we're urged to put off the old self, the old way of doing things, and put on the new. 
We do this in conjunction with other people. We do this in conjunction with the Spirit. That that's the importance of finding people that we trust. And that's tough. I get it. They can speak life into us. They can look at me in the eye and say, Luis, you need to be more gentle. That's, that's a condition of the heart, not behavior. Many times we want to address all these behaviors and we, we're not willing to go deep. And what are the things inside that have wounded us? What are the things inside that we've never dealt with? And all of us have stuff. So part of being awakened is that there isn't any stuff or issues that we have to deal with. Being awakened is to the reality that I understand that these things are here and now I don't have the fear or the shame or the guilt to address them in Jesus' name. And I begin to walk now in a new way in victory. And part of what Paul is saying is that when we come to Christ, inevitably all of us have something to lay down. Something to lay aside. The particulars will be different for every single person. But yet, that reality of shedding something, laying it aside, is important. And we don't do this in our strength. I think that's why Paul writes, no longer I, but Christ in me. I think that's part of what Jesus was talking about when he invited us to deny ourselves. He says, I want you to live differently than the world. He's saying in chapter 4, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You're like, okay, that sounds great. But then he goes and lists a, sit, a list of behaviors for us. And you can read along if you want in chapter 4, verse 25. He says, speak the truth. Be honest. Talking to someone this week, and this person said, well, I'm just going to write a little lie on a text message. That way it doesn't seem so bad. I said, why lie? The person just kind of looked at me like I was dumb because I really didn't understand why the need to twist the truth. I said, just let the truth sit and see what happens. The person was like, like that was a novel idea because there's fear there's anxiety we feel the need to twist and he's saying conduct yourselves differently be honest be a person of integrity it's interesting it also says be angry but do not sin in your anger two different things to be angry is not to be in sin met with someone this week and this person said i am so angry and i said listen i totally understand everything you just told me you you should be angry i would be angry i'm angry just listening at you about what's happened to you the issue is not that you're experiencing anger the issue is what are you going to do with this anger that you are experiencing if we walk in the way of christ i will now begin to handle this anger differently he says don't give room to the devil do not steal do Share with other people. Refrain from corrupt talk. He goes on and on. He goes, put away bitterness and wrath and anger and slander. Even when you drive and the strangers, the way you treat strangers, the people who messed up your order, the people that are taking too long on the phone for all the stuff we're trying to take care of. How do we treat them? He says, treat them differently than the world would treat them. Because of who you are in Christ. Remember that. The grace that Christ has given us, let us share it with other people. Then he goes on to say, be kind and tender-hearted. Wow, 
I can't. You're right, we can't, but Christ in us, we can. Forgive one another. Now it's getting into the relationships. Not just, it's easier with the stranger because I may not see them ever again in a city like Houston. But now forgive one another as those people close to us are the ones that hurt us. Now are the ones that I must release to God. And hence he goes on to talk about what does it mean for us to walk in love. See, the walking in love will permeate every relationship we have if we allow it to. How we're a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, a boss, an employee. You name the relationship. It permeates every area, every relationship. Even how we're present in this church, how we treat each other, the conversations, everything. And yet, there seems to be a gap. And the Spirit of God says, keep walking. Keep walking. Don't let up. Because there is something right there. Paul goes on, he says, we used to walk in darkness, but now we walk in the light. And, we're, and if you've ever walked out of a dark tunnel or a dark room into the light, there is this progression where you are still in darkness and you see the light and you're still walking out. You're adjusting your eyes. You're trying to figure out what's in front. Sometimes you're fully in the light and you're still blinded. I think sometimes that happens to us as we are walking in Christ. We're beginning to figure things out. Then it says, walk in wisdom. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There is great desire in our culture to possess all sorts of knowledge, all sorts of information. You get into a debate about something, hey Google, hey Siri, and everybody's looking it up online, right? And if it's online, it must be true, y'all. It must be. So you can find two different sets of facts and people are arguing at dinner. I'm not talking about the vaccine or masks, but about so many other things, about the price of shoes, the country who started this and the country who did that, the best whatever, you name it. You can find it in an instant. We crave all this knowledge, but yet with all this knowledge available to us in our pockets, in our fingertips, we remain so foolish in the manner in which we live our lives. And he says, would you consider living a life full of wisdom? The days are evil, there is a warning built in. And if he said this back then, let me tell you, it hasn't gotten many better. But the days are evil. That is a way to scare us. He says, so be alert, be wise, open your eyes of how you live your life. We continue, we continue to be present in this world. We don't have to run and hide from this world. It's what we'll talk about next week, how we stand in the midst of this world with the evil that is there, which is not people, by the way. How, he asked this question, be wise with your time. So I asked this question, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? Our time on earth is limited for all of us. People who lived many years will say it's flown by. What are you doing with your time? 
Where are you investing your time? Where do you contribute your time? Just hanging out, just seeking pleasure, seeking retirement, waiting for that next thing. If that is the way, then we're living foolishly. He says, be wise with your time. Our days are limited. Walk in a way that begins to expand the kingdom. When you and I begin to walk in the ways of the Lord, suddenly we begin to walk in the works that he has for us to carry out so that the world can begin to experience healing and redemption. And this world needs it. And he said, I have something better than the empire of Rome, than the Roman empire to reach this world. And they were trying to reach the entire world. I've established my bride, my church. This is all of us. We get to be a part of this, regardless of how old or young we are. That's not an issue. He says, trust me in the way you live. How are we spending our time? See, Paul understood something very clearly. He wanted us to live generously without reproach and to be given over completely to God. When we live a life that is awakened to Christ, we begin to change. And this impacts the way we're present in this world. So when you go have drinks after work, you begin to think about that time differently. When you have an interaction with a stranger, you'll think about it differently. When you're invited to hang out in the driveway with your neighbors, the conversations that you have, the things that you entertain will begin to shift. When you have a business deal to do and you know you can cut some corners, you're going to say, you know, because of what Christ has done, I will not lie. I will maintain my integrity. I will be tender-hearted even though I'm the boss. You could be mean, because this is the way it is. But you can do it in a way that glorifies Christ. You have an issue with your son and daughter, I just tell them the truth, tell them the truth in love. Maybe part of that is listening. We learn that it's not about always being right. It's about being present in a different way because of what the Spirit is doing in us. And the work of the Spirit begins to permeate every area of our lives, every area. Our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our relationships, our dreams, our desires, our longings, our hopes. Things continue to die inside of us and new things continue to grow because the Spirit of God is working in us. Walking in this life with Christ is not just about coming to church or some little prayer that we say every once in a while or even reading the book of Ephesians. It's so much more than that. These are things that we do. These are slices. They're part of this greater reality. But he says, I want you to walk from a place of rest, from a place of abiding. For some of us, this is really hard. We're so goal-oriented and driven by what we can accomplish on our own. But this may require us to say, I need help. This will require a transparent vulnerability on our behalf to say, I need help. You know what? I wanna live this kind of life, but I think my marriage needs help. I need help with my son, with my daughter. And yes, they're out of the house. They don't even live with me anymore and I need help. I need help with relationships. 
I, I need help with substance abuse. I need help with all these attachments I have in my life. I need boundaries. I need help. When you and I begin to seek help, there is a different awakening that occurs in us and we begin to say, thank you, Jesus. And Jesus shows up in those moments. And this is part of how we walk it out. Some of you are in a place where you've been in a really good place and need to take a further step of faith to say, I'm ready for God to use me in a different way. Like I've been preparing, I've been sitting, I've been abiding, I've been learning, I, people have been speaking into me and I, I just don't know what's next. We're all over the place because of the kind of people that are in this room, humans. We're all over the place. And that's a good thing. That's part of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. So let us ask the Lord to awaken us so that we can walk by faith and not by sight. Following not the ways of this world, but following Christ wherever he may lead us. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you have seated us with you. Lord, we thank you that you have works for us to, to carry out in this world. We don't know what they are exactly for each one of us. But Lord, we want to be used by you. We need you, Lord. And if you're saying, Lord, I need you, I need your help. I wonder if you'd be bold enough, have the courage to raise your hand where you are, to say, Lord, I need you few hands coming up. Hold them high. I'm holding two up. Because, Lord, I need you too. Lord, may you draw near to our, our weakness, to our place of need in this moment. Lead us into this light, into this place of, of humility and gentleness in all of us. And in that, that we would experience freedom and healing like never before. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And I want to ask you, put your hands down. I want to ask another group of people that if you're here and you're saying, you know, I'm ready for that next. I've been waiting. I've been abiding and I'm ready for something different. I don't know what it is. Would you raise that hand in that season of life? Oh, thank you, Lord, for these hands. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are ready for something more to walk in a different way. Lord, I pray that your spirit would begin to show them exactly where you want them to be. Even if you're sitting at home and you're raising your hand, like, that is me and I, I feel stuck and I don't know. Lord, would you work? Would you move? Begin to remove barriers in Jesus' name. Begin to surround them with people that would encourage them and show them the next step that would speak truth into their lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who loves us, who calls us and walk with us regardless of what we're facing. In your name we pray, Lord, and we ask all of this. Amen. Let's stand and sing.